Hello, welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. This is a daily conversation about scripture, culture, and media from a Reformed perspective. Get your Bible and coffee ready and prepare to engage today's topic. Here's your host, Pastor Keith Foskey. Welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. This week we have caffeinated Calvinist Roundtable again with Sam Brown and Richard Roden. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Better than we do. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, guys, what we're going to be doing today, as you know, because we talked about it before the show, we are going to be talking about thoughts that we have about the modern church and what we would say are our top three problems in the modern church, things that we look at the modern church and say, here are some areas that we think the modern church is having issues, is failing, is making mistakes. And, you know, none of us would claim to be without error. None of us would claim to be perfect. But it's always good to take a step back to look at things from a from an, from a, from an outer, outside and look back in, especially when we're in the church, to try to step back, look at the church and say, okay, where are some areas that really we need to address? And, and as a pastor specifically, you know, I have to be sort of careful with this because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the responsible role of being there to, to try to right some of these wrongs. And these are, so the things that we're going to talk about is, um, is are, are things that that some some might take offense to to what we're going to say, but we're not trying to be offensive. We're just trying to point to some things that we think are concerns, things that we all could be thinking about and doing better. And you guys are churchmen. You love the church. You love the Lord. And uh, it's not just the pastors who are involved in trying to make a change. We're all should be trying to make a make a difference and and encourage one another. And and so all of us uh, could listen to these things. And and maybe you, the listener, have some thoughts. As you're listening to as you're listening to what we have to say, my encouragement would be to you to send in your own thoughts, and maybe we could come back later, maybe next week or in a week or two, come back and we can address some of the thoughts that you send to us. And if you'd like to send us your thoughts, you can send those to calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. That again is calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. And again, the subject that we're talking about are concerns or problems that we see in the modern church. And I've got the list here, and I'm going to list out the things that we're going to talk about. There are three from each of us. Uh, Sam has given me three, Richard's given me three, and I have put my three in. I'm going to outline these so that you know where we're going, listener, and then we're just going to start off talking about each one. Uh, Sam's three are uh, people who think that they are a good person, that's what your first one. I'm a good person. Uh, number two, that that people believing that everyone worships the same God. Uh, this is a, you know, that, that would be a problem. And then people who believe the churches are just about money. I think those are three solid answers. And we're going to go back to those and start over again. Richard, uh, on his three, said people who misunderstand hell. Is that right, Richard? Is that, is that how you were saying that? People who misunderstand what, what we're talking about when we say hell. And uh, people who misunderstand, uh, number two, people who misunderstand the concept of free will. And uh, number three, people who say, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. I want to mention, I was on a panel of speakers last year, and we were we were given questions to answer. That was one of the questions was, uh, you know, should we not go to church because there's hypocrites in the church? So that, that Richard's a, is one that a lot of people have asked, and, and so certainly... Uh, certainly one that we'll dig into. Mine, the the concerns that I have for the modern church, number one, ignorance of basic Bible categories. And I'll explain more when we get to the, um, when we get to it, what I mean by that. Number two is satisfaction with ignorance. Now I'm not trying to be ugly with that one, but I think, I think those two kind of go together. Uh, There's an ignorance of basic Bible. And then there's people who just are satisfied with that ignorance. They're fine with it. They think it's okay. And then the third thing I put is a false view of how someone gets saved. So let's go back up to number one with Sam. And Sam, use, use yours. Use guys. <laughs> use guys. Yours says, uh, I'm a good person. That's your concern. Now, what I'd like for you to do, if you don't mind, take a minute and just sort of flesh out what it is you are saying is your concern in the uh, someone saying, I'm a good person. So... 
Okay, just just a real quick little background is as those who may have listened before may know that I'm a relatively new Christian. I've only been a believer for five or six years, not a super long time. I'm not scripturally brilliant. I I don't study as much as I should, um, but I do believe I have the right perspective on certain things. So anytime I hear somebody say to me, "Oh, well, you know, I'm basically a good person," I go, "No, you're not." Like like that's my instant reaction. No, you're not. Um, read Romans that'll tell you you're not a good person. Um, and, and then the next question is, well, what is your, what is the standard by which you judge what is good or not? Right. And, and I've had this conversation argument, whichever it, whichever you want to define it as hundreds of times. And ultimately what it comes to is, well, I'm not a murderer. Okay. So your definition of what a good person is, is not a murderer. My definition of what a good person is, is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So by your standard, you're a good person. That's the world's standard. By God's standard, you're not a good person. So that's what I mean when I say um, one of the things that irks me worse than anything is when people go, well, I think people are basically good. I'm like, have you, have you met a two-year-old? Um, they're, <laughs> they're not. Um, people are not good. Have you met people? They're terrible. Um, the, the Bible says we're wicked from our youth. I yeah. have five children. And the reason why I can testify to that truth is all five of them have been wicked from their youth. But Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We are born totally opposed to God, um, uh, totally conceived in iniquity, completely self-absorbed. Most of us still are. So um, anytime, and I just, I actually have a physical reaction whenever people go, Oh, well, I'm basically a good person. I go, I just kind of irk, but like back from him and go, no, no, because that's wrong thinking. Um, so, and, and the one truism through all of the things that I gave are, is that we only think these things because we don't truly understand who God is. Amen. Amen. Richard, do you want to add any thoughts to that? I, I, have, I have a few of my own, but I'm going to, I'm going to go last on this first one. Um, no, I think he hit the nail on the head. I mean, we're not, as he said, Romans. Uh, it's very clear that no one's good, no, not one, no one seeks after God. Uh, we're not hell about this. Some when I talk about the misconception of hell, but that we're, we're, uh, we're all deserving of hell. We're all born in a state of sin and misery. So, um, yes, no one is good. Uh, the world standard, you got people to get, I have a friend that, um, years ago when I was witnessing to him, we're talking 10 or 12 years ago, he actually gave me this answer. He's like, listen, I think I'm good with God because I help little ladies across the street. And, you know, I give the charity every now and then. And, you know, I don't treat people bad. I treat people the way I want to be treated and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, that's a worldly standard. Same as what Sam was talking about. Um, that's not enough. The standard is Christ and you fall woefully short of meeting that standard. The standard is God's law and you fall woefully short of that. So, I mean, I've, I've literally heard those cliche responses of I help little old ladies across the street because they think that makes them good because they're kind to someone. But in reality, you're not, your good works are filthy rags before God. It means absolutely nothing. You need a savior in order to be good because your goodness is found in Christ because he is the ultimate good. So yeah, I agree with Sam. That is a serious problem within the church is that people think they're basically good when they're not. Amen. And my only thought about this, I'd like to give a, an example that I have used. Uh, and, I, and I will admit that this is, not, this is not unique to Keith Foskey, but I don't know where I heard it. So, so this is the, this is the bad thing about being a pastor is sometimes you say things that you've heard before and you don't know who to attribute it to. So you just have to say a scholar once said <laughs> a brilliant scholar once said, and they're like, Keith, you said that last yeah, week. Like, That's right. I did. That's a brilliant scholar. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I, I remember the, uh, the concept of good and a person being good is uh was being compared to a pirate and basically the argument was this pirates live by a certain code when they live on a ship together um when they're when they're when they're doing the work of pirating together they all they all have their own jobs on the boat they all have to do their own responsibilities and while they're on the boat together they're relatively good to one another because that's required for them to be able to pirate together 
for them to be able to, to do what they do, they have to have some kind of a moral standard by which they all function. And therefore, they're all sort of in it together. And yet, everything they do is a breach of maritime law because they're, they're pirates all the time. So, so even though they have a standard of goodness by which they live with one another, they still constantly are doing evil because they're violating the laws of, of, of the world by, by being pirates. And, and I, I always thought that was a great example. As you can say, yes, in, 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 in one sense, you are good because you're not kicking your neighbor's cat in the teeth and you're not punching your, your seven-year-old in the face. You know, you, you, you provide for your family. You're, you're, you're good by that standard. That's what you guys said, the world standards. You're living by that morality, which is necessary for you to function and stay out of jail. It's necessary for you to function and to have a life that's not living in the gutter, but you're not good in the, in, in the eyes of God because you're still a sinner. And the Bible says that which is not of faith is sin. Therefore, if you are outside of Christ, even your grandest good deeds are still just glorified sins. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so definitely, that's a hard thing to get people to understand, though because people see themselves as much more virtuous than they are. The Bible says almost every man will proclaim his own goodness. So yeah, uh, and, and that's an, and here's how we know this. Again, you're right, Sam. We could, each one of these questions could be an all-day <laughs> conversation. But here's, here's how you know that this is happening in the church, is when you sit down with someone, and I've had these conversations many times, when you sit down with someone to talk to them about their eternal condition, and you begin to address the real issue, and that is whether or not they are truly saved. And they will say, I'm doing pretty good, or I have done good, or I think God's going to accept me because of what I have done. And um, in fact, I, I had a conversation with a Christian brother today, and he said, he said one of the things that always makes him shudder is when he says to someone, you know, are you saved? And they say, yes, I whatever, whatever. If it starts with, I did this, I did that, whether I, I pray to prayer or I do this or I do that versus God saved me. <laughs> and, 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 and my salvation is based upon what Christ did for me. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, considering ourselves good, a definite problem. And, uh, I was thinking about playing devil's advocate here, but I never advocate for the devil. So we're going to move on. <laughs> and, so, and, well, and just to throw out a just to throw out a thought real fast, um, it, it, I, th- I believe probably everything we're going to talk about, including what we just talked about, is a paradigmatic blinder. And for those who don't know what that word means, the paradigm is the... I was say, this is a family show? Watch yeah. those words. <laughs> the paradigm, your paradigm is, is, is the lens through which you see things. So um, if there's an old saying years ago, because I'm 100 years old, you look at the world through rose-tinted glasses, right? Means no matter where you go, what you do, you see things in a positive light, right? That is the paradigm through which you see things, right? So, so if our paradigm is not God, if, if, if our paradigm is, is, is man-centered and not God-centered, then we're going to err on everything, right? So all, whenever Keith asked this question, I immediately rifled off those three because they were the first three things on my mind but I could list a hundred things for people who don't have a God centered worldview. Um, so, so just keep in mind the par- the paradigmatic blinders that we have that, that make us not focus on God and rather focus on ourselves. And Amen. how often do we let the blinder of thinking we're good affect us even after conversion every day in the, sen- in the sense of, um, we'll pray and we'll somewhat bargain with God. You know, I need this, so I'll do this. And we fall into the same trap even after the fact. So it's still, it's not just for the uh, unregenerate world who thinks they're a good person, but even we fall in the trap as believers and thinking that we can somehow be good enough for God to do X, Y, Z for us. And that's a lot of what the prosperity gospel says. If you do this, God will do this kind of mentality. So yeah. and, and even a step a, further, I still do it every day. I have to catch myself and I'm consistently checking my mm-hmm. worldview going, Sam, that's wrong. That, that's not a God-centered worldview. You are not thinking properly. So, so it's not that I'm casting these aspersions at everybody else and going, the mighty Sam doesn't ever do this. No, absolutely <laughs> not. It's, uh, but it is something that takes training and constant focus.
Amen. Amen. Well, the second <clears throat> number one, uh, and again, these are not in order of importance. They were just in order of how we wrote them down. The second number one came from Richard. We said one of the things that the church tends to have issue with or get wrong in many areas. And, and Richard, you just wrote the word hell. And I know you have a I know you have more to it than just that. So why don't you explain to us your concern and then we'll dive in with our thoughts. Okay, well, it, I narrowed it down to a misunderstanding concerning hell that I come across from, from Christians, whether they be pastors that are preaching from the pulpit or from Christians I've had. Hold on, wait, Past, pa- pastors do not make mistakes. I'm... <laughs> Doe's over, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, whether it's pastors preaching from the pulpit or Christians I've had conversations with is that they use the phrase that hell is separation from God. That's the the point I want to hone in here. And I'll qualify that for a second. Now in no way, shape or form do these people deny that hell is an actual place or that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment uh, consisting of unquenchable fire or weeping and gnashing teeth. These people would affirm all of this completely. Um, The caveat is that they would say the worst part about hell is that they're separated from God, that in hell we wouldn't be in his presence. And that's where they make the mistake. And having a misunderstanding of hell has a serious, has serious consequences. And that's where they make the mistake is because scripture is very clear about the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere always. Even in some of the catechisms I've done with my kids, and you may have, you may have these questions in your, uh, you seem to have some catechism on the wall at your house the other day, Keith, when I was over there. And I think you do the same ones that I do. But one of the questions is, where is God? And the answer is everywhere. And then the follow-up questions are, does he know all things and he see all things? And the answer is yes, because nothing can be hidden from God. He is present everywhere, always. And scripture itself testifies to this fact as well in Psalm 139, 9-8, where it says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there so the obvious conclusion to make is that god is also present in hell now people bristle at that but if god is omnipresent and god is sovereign as we say he is then you have to understand that he is not not present in hell so the worst part about hell is not the absence of the presence of god the worst part about hell is that god is very much present but he is present for the sole purpose of exacting his wrath Now, that should give the unbeliever serious and great pause, but at the same time, it should give the believer a reason to praise. And this is what I mean by that, is that in Isaiah 53, we're told very clearly that the iniquities of us all were put upon Christ, and it pleased the Father to crush him. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Scripture tells us that God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So what we see there is the full cup of God's wrath was poured out on Christ in our stead. So in other words, what we would spend eternity in hell paying for in the presence of God as he justly exacted his wrath upon us, Christ paid for in mere moments upon Calvary when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ took upon himself for us the penalty due to us so that we could be reconciled to him and avoid an eternity in his wrathful presence and in exchange become reconciled to him and be ushered into the kingdom of God, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where we will one day spend eternity in heaven in God's presence to bless. That is the caveat there. It's not that we're separated from God in hell and that he's not present there at all. It's where is his presence to do? What is his presence there to do? In hell, his presence is there to exact his wrath. In heaven, he is present to bless. And and those that are in hell will spend eternity in the presence of God, undertaking his wrath for their sin and their rejection of him. So that's just one of the minor, one of the mis- misunderstandings I've heard many people say is that hell is just simply separation from God. That's the worst part is that he's not there. Well, reality is he is. It's just what is he there to do? So those are my thoughts on that. Damn Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, I, I'm, I would agree, but I, I have my thoughts I want to add, but I, I'm going to let Sam opine before I do. So I'm going to be uncharacteristically short on this because um, one of the things um, that I try to do is, is know what I know, but also know what I don't know, right? So due to my um, uh, incredibly short tenure 
as a Christian, hell is one of those topics that I really haven't delved into much. So I want to be careful what I say about it. Um, at the same time, I don't disagree with, with, with anything that Richard said. And uh, so basically my position on hell is I know it's a bad place and I don't want to go there. Don't push me. Right. So, so, so don't push me beyond that. Cause at this point I haven't had enough time to study and, and uh, I don't disagree with it with anything Richard said. And I've heard a few of Keith's sermons, which, which I completely agree with. I just don't know enough to, to opine about it. So please forgive me for my lack of knowledge, but um, I'm going to take a pass on this one. Oh, I appreciate your honesty. And that's, that's always helpful for folks to do that. Often the most dangerous thing that folks do in church is simply give uh, off the cuff answers to things they haven't thought about. So that was very, very mature. Thank you. Um, the, the thought I had as you were talking, Richard, is I, I do think this is an issue of, of language, especially among pastors. And I think that it comes in the wake of hell falling on hard times. I know that may sound like a weird way of putting it, but when, when you and I were younger, Richard, um, and, and Sam, you're a little bit, how old are you, Sam? You're, you're I'm 48. Okay. So you're not that much older, but you're, you're, I'm you're really old. You were in the, you were, you were in the seventies. Um, mm. we, we were both, uh, born in the, uh, well, I was born in 80. Were you born in 80, Richard? Or today's, today's my birthday, brother. Well, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> Nineteen eighty, February seventh, nineteen eighty. My goodness me! Well, happy birthday to you, and uh, thank you for spending your birthday with us. Now, this will this will go out later. So, those of you who are saying, "Wait a minute, it's not February seventh. It'll be it's February seventh right now." But <laughs> but but you're listening now, not now, but now. <laughs> future is now. <laughs> yes, you're listening in the future, but the future is now. Okay. Mm. And so, now back to hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have all heard the statement, hellfire and brimstone preacher. Mm-hmm. And I have been asked specifically, are you, speaking to me, are, are you a hellfire and brimstone preacher? Now, generally, that is asked by people who I'm going to do their funeral <laughs> Um, because I do a lot of funerals. I mean, I probably do two or three funerals a month for people that I've never met. And I have to create a relationship with people whereby I'm going to be speaking about their loved one for 20 minutes that I've never met. And I've got to create this relationship in a matter of hours. You know, usually I get the, I get the email that I'm going to be doing a service three days in advance and that, and, and in that three days, I have to call the family, introduce myself, get a questionnaire out them so that they can fill it out, get it back to me, go over the questionnaire with them, write a eulogy, and have it prepared along with the music for the service. I mean, that, it's it's a lot to do in three days, mm-hmm. and, and and sometimes it's not even three days. Sometimes it's like, can you do a service on Monday, bro? It's Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I've had that happen. Uh, yeah, we need you tomorrow. Okay, it's going to be a short service. That's <laughs> She's in my answer, but I only bring that up because a big a question that's come up. I've, I've done over 150 funerals in the last 15 years. I know I've done over 150 services, and um, I've I've been asked, "Well, are you a hellfire and brimstone preacher?" And it, it's it's usually not asked that way. Usually, it's said, "Well, we're not looking for a hellfire and brimstone preacher." <laughs> and they don't ask me as much as they sort of tell me that's not what we're looking for. And my answer to that is always, I come for two reasons. I come for, uh, I come to, um, to comfort you in your loss and to challenge you about Christ. That's my, that's my two, two reasons for being there. I come to, uh, to try to give words of uh, encouragement, but also to challenge you about your relationship with Christ. So if you don't want to hear that, don't, I can't come. And I've only had one time where the family told me you're not allowed to come. We have one, one group of brothers met me at my office and we started talking and I said, well, which, you know, here's, here's the Bible. This is what I'm going to be talking about. And they're like, well, you can't do that. We're going to have Muslims and Jews and, and, and non-believers there. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. Well, we were told you were non-denominational. I said, yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. That's not the same thing. And so they were like, well, you can't come and say these things. I said, well, then I can't come. And they were like, okay, they stood up and walked out. They were like, have a good day. Okay. So that was the only time that that's ever happened in 15 years of doing this. 
And did and did you say bye, Felicia? <laughs> no, but I, I, I they they looked angry with me. But it was like, what what am I going to do? What are, they, what are they thinking? Exactly. You literally drove to a church. You're yeah. just, you're sitting in my office. Sovereign uh, Grace Church. Um, but don't talk about Jesus. Yeah. So I I I I know I just spend a lot of time getting to where I'm getting. Basically, my point is, I think people have a negative uh, uh, preconception about hellfire preachers. That's, that's all that was simply to say that. It, it, to, to, I think people will say, are you a hellfire preacher? And, and in their mind, that's negative because people don't believe hell is real anymore or they don't believe hell is bad. And that's kind of what you're getting to, Richard, is it's, it's hell is bad, but what's really bad is you're separated from God. It's not the fire. It's not the torture. It's not the punishment. It's just that, you know, God is good and you're separated from his goodness. And while that there is some truth to that last statement, you are separated from his grace. You are separated mm-hmm. from his goodness. Uh, I think it's a way for a, for a lot of preachers to try to, avoid the moniker of hellfire and brimstone preacher. And it, it's not right. It's not good. Um, you know, one of the things I heard, and I want to, I, I, I probably won't get this exactly right, but basically this is that uh, one of the worst things that we've done is, is we have convinced people that sin is not, sin is not bad and hell's not hot. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there was three things, but it was like, hell's not bad. Sin's not hot. And, you know, you're not going there basically with the three things, but it was, you know, the, the hell's not hot always got my attention because that's what we've done. We've air conditioned hell. You know? <laughs> I thought right. the saying was God is great. Beer is good. People are crazy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Wait, that, wait, that's a country song. <laughs> that's I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. My, Theology my, by Billy Currington. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, I, I was just going to say, I, I thought that you were brilliantly opining but the only thing i could think of the whole time you were talking is i've never heard the term hellfire and brimstone i've always heard fire and brimstone i've never heard hellfire and brimstone really I've heard I, that I, a well, thousand times yeah, yeah i've heard hellfire like yeah callahan thing or well it could well it could be we're both from callahan richard and I. yeah maybe but, uh but growing up i always heard the term hellfire and brimstone um and again i think that so many modern pastors, I, I, they they have no, they they have they have not considered the danger of making hell um, pleasant or not or not. I don't. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. Making making hell okay. You know, it's you know if you go there, it's bad. But what 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 you need to consider is that heaven's better. No, there's, there's no option here. There shouldn't be an option. If we could take a minute and look at hell, if, if we could just step our toe into the lake of fire for, for half a second, we would never want to go there forever. We would never in our life even consider wanting to be there. And the idea that we could air condition this place or soften it is dangerous. And this is why men like Jonathan Edwards are considered crazy by today's standards, because he was willing to say that men stand today like spiders who, who, who weave their webs over an open fire. And at any moment, the, the fire could lick the web and pull the spider down into it. And that's where we all stand. You know, the, the, the text for sinners in the hands of an angry God is your foot will slip in due time. That was the text. Your, your foot will slip in due time. And the idea is one day you're going, one day you're going to go. And, and, um, so that's, so, so yeah, I, I think, I think you're right, Richard. I think it's part of a larger problem. And the larger problem is we're too concerned that we're going to be labeled with something that is unpalatable. He's hellfire brimstone or excuse me, he's fire brimstone. (laughs) And, and, and that just, and we just can't be that way. Right. I think you're, uh, I think you're touching on something that there's in a culture where you can't say anything negative. I think pastors may be scared to speak the truth about hell because it's, it's not, it's not a positive thing, but that's why I I put in there a, a reason to praise in in my explanation is what does Romans eight tell eight one tell us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reality of hell 
no longer applies to those who are in Christ Jesus because he has saved us from the wrath of God. And part of the wrath of God is spending eternity under his judgment in hell where there is weeping, there is gnashing of teeth, the worm dieth not, the hellfire is hot. And you said, if we could just take a glimpse into hell, well, what does Luke give us in the account of the rich man Lazarus? We get a glimpse into hell and he's crying out, could you dip your finger in some water and put a drop on my tongue because the fires are so hot. And then he pleads with them, send somebody back to tell my family not to come here. And what does Abraham say? They got Moses and the prophets. Yeah, That's, that's all right. they need. Mm -hmm. So if they don't believe because of that, they ain't going to believe somebody's raised from the dead. So we get a glimpse into hell. Christ speaks about hell and uh, pastors should do the same. And I'm glad you're one of the ones that's willing to do it. Cause there's many that, that aren't, they gloss it over with separation from God. And that's why I brought that up as one of the first things that came to my mind. So do you think, and I just want to delve into this a little more because I don't understand most of it. Do you think preachers avoid talking about hell because they're afraid of offending people or they don't understand it? Or is that just a generalized paradigmatic blinder for them? Is there just so many poorly educated, poorly schooled, poorly scriptured teachers that they just don't get it? It, it may be a combination of all of it uh, because and, it, it depends on the, on what you're talking about. If it's prosperity preachers, well, they're not going to talk about it because it doesn't fit the narrative. Mm. And you may have some that just don't understand. Um, but I mean, Keith may be a, Keith hangs out with a lot more pastors than I do. So he may be able to give a, a better answer than I would on that one. Well, first of all, I want to, I want to just add 50 cent to your, uh, your doggy uh, coin account uh, for using that word again. I'm very impressed. Like, that's the second time. I don't know if, I don't know if you know what doggy coin is or Dodge coin or whatever it is. It's that new, that new cryptocurrency. I'll put you down for 50 cent worth. Uh, and, and maybe one day you'll have half a million dollars. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that, uh, but you're right. You're par paradigmatic blinders. Mm -hmm. that, that will end up in a sermon soon. Just so you know. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what you call uh, 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 skimming. I'm skimming for ideas. I probably but, heard it from somebody else, so don't say Sam Brown said it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, but you hit on something though, Sam, and I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm 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 dipping my foot into a dangerous uh, stream here, Lake of Fire. Well, <laughs> no, I don't want to put my toe there, <laughs> but I'm gonna put my foot into something that may may hopefully not be I hope one I would hopefully I wouldn't be considered prideful for saying this because I want to say from the outset I'm not the smartest guy in the world I'm not the uh, I'm not the the best preacher in Jacksonville I'm not the you know I I don't can I, I'm not, I don't want to put myself on any pedestal upon which I could be knocked off but there are there are a lot of guys who um who preach who who are who have not been well-educated and there's, there's, there's several reasons why that is one. Um, there are, there are different, there, there, there are different avenues for education and, and one of them is seminary, but not everybody can afford to go to seminary. And so if you feel called to preach and you can't afford to go to seminary, then sometimes you have to look for a different avenue and some, and, and somebody will say, well, uh, Charles Spurgeon never went to seminary. And that's, that, that, that may be true, but Charles Spurgeon also read a book a week, every week of his life. I mean, he, he was, he, he had an amazing uh, desire to learn and absorb and, and he had an amazing ability to understand and, and regurgitate what he knew, you know, um, one of the things I, I tell people a lot of times is I, I'm not a creator. I'm a regurgitator. I don't have a lot of original thoughts. Most of what I'm preaching is, is what I've learned and what other men who are smarter than me have thought. And I've just simply have somewhat of a gift of being able to outline and condense and regurgitate things that I've learned. That's, that's my, if, if, if I could say I had any gift at all, it's the ability to remember well, uh, outline well and regurgitate well. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not an original thinker, and, and you know, uh, in in that regard. But um, 
a lot of men, especially in certain denominations, are not even are are not even asked to get an education. For instance, uh, if you if you want to become a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, you have to have a degree. There, uh, the PCA. If you are going to be ordained in the PCA, you have to have a degree. You you can't not have a degree. It's it's a prerequisite. Uh, I think that there may be some kind of thing where you can get a certificate through a seminary where you don't have to have an undergraduate degree, but I don't know. I, so, I know. So actually, that that was the path that I was on when I first became a Christian. I wanted to be a Presbyterian pastor, um, and and yeah. So they but they have the Lamps program, which was set up by the PCA, which is a correspondence seminary. So, yeah. so there is a way to get that degree without going off to seminary for three years. That, um, yeah. But it's still, yeah. you have to be educated. You have to get this. Yeah. You they can't get it. Yep. Yeah. And then when you go for your ordination, mm-hmm. you have to answer questions. You have yep. to be tested at present ordained. Yep. Um, and I, I can't speak to Baptists because I'll be honest, there's too many Baptists. There's too, there's too wide of a divergence. And the fact that, and Richard would agree with me, Baptists being autonomous churches, they're, they're, it's, it depends on the church, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, not a, different churches are going to have different requirements. So you can't say this one, this one requires it or this one doesn't because you don't know. But I know of churches that the only requirement is you said you had a call from God. Mm-hmm. And as long as you say you have a call from God, then that's it. Then you get up there and preach. God called yeah. you to do it. He's going to equip you. And whether or not you know what you're talking about is secondary to you said you had a call from God. And so get up there and preach. And if you think I'm, if you think I'm exaggerating, I want to tell you a story. When I first believed I was called into ministry, I was telling another man about my call. I said, I believe God's called me to ministry, so I'm going to be going to seminary. I've already signed up to go to Jacksonville Baptist Theological Seminary. And this man told me, he said, well, you don't need to do that. Just come and spend a weekend with us, and we will ordain you. Hmm. He said, you know, we just we recognize your call from God. You don't have to go do all that seminary stuff. You just come spend the weekend with us, and we will ordain you. And I remember thinking, um, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no thanks all the same. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is because I knew I was ignorant. And, and you know, I knew I, I, I needed that, the, the, the time in school and, and, and learning and, and things like that. So, yeah, we, we did kind of go but, off the subject a little bit, but that but I you, do think. But you, had, but you had a call from God. I do. I, I believe I have a that call actually, from That actually reminds me of a funny story. So a Baptist friend of mine comes to me and he says, Sam, we're having problems with our pastor. He's preaching heresy from the pulpit. What do we do? I said, well, call him before the presbytery. He goes, we're Baptists. I'm like, sorry, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I, I... At least in a Reformed Baptist church, he would have elders that he would be responsible to, mm. uh, as in mm-hmm. our church. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's uh, uh, the, in a lot of churches, the, the pastor does function like a little mini pope, and there's yep. nobody who can really question him. And when he's ignorant, that, that, that lays a pretty dangerous down, uh, uh, road down for everyone uh, in the church. And it's not just the dangers of that, which is certainly terrible. But the other thing is that frequently those pastors have so much put upon them because nobody else is there to do it, that they get burnt out quickly too. Yeah. They just get worked to death as well. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's an unfortunate setup all, all the way around. When I was, when I was uh, uh, younger, I went to a conference with RC Sproul. It was a pastor's conference. There was only a hundred pastors there. And we got a chance to sit around and talk to R.C. Sproul and Steve Lawson and some of these guys. And it was, it was wonderful. Probably the best time of my life as a young minister getting to hear and talk to these guys. And R.C. did say something that, I, that stuck with me. He said, um, he said ministry, it, I, think, I think at the time he said it had an 80% drop, 80% drop rate. Like mm-hmm. 80% of ministers will, will stop and do something else they will stop being ministers at some point. And he said, because it is the, it is one of the most 
highly expected and lowest compensated professions in the world. He said, yeah, any, any, any qualified, it's not a profession, it's a calling, but he said, ultimately it's, there's so much expected. There's very little compensated there. And, and, and he even made the point because being Presbyterian, he said, they expect you to have a doctorate. They expect you to know these things. And yet there, you know, it, it is, it really is. It's easy to burn out in the ministry for sure. But we've, we've sort of diverged from the concept of the subject of hell. The subject was, or the question was, do I think that men who are uneducated might soften hell? I think so. I do think lack of education is a problem. I think also uh, it's, a, it's a desire to not be the guy who, who's always ripping and raring and snorting about hell. You know, if you, if you, because I think uh, some guys want to appear more erudite and more intellectual than, than, than somebody who's just hell, 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 you know, and excuse me, that, that's, you know, they, they see these guys who are just ripping and snorting and yelling hell. And I've seen that. I've seen guys who just, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I went to a, a church and the guy was walking on the backs of the pews. I remember looking up and seeing his penny loafers right next to my head and he was snapping his finger, pointing his finger going, are you going to hell? Are you going to hell? I mean, just literally pointing down at the people as he walked on the back of the pews, pointing at people. So I think that there is a, uh, I think that there is, I think that there is a a way to do it wrong and Mm -hmm. that would be one of them. So hell's a big topic. Um, I think we're going to end up uh, only getting to number one today on all of ours because this is, our program is going a little long, but I enjoy it. I'm really enjoying the conversation. You guys are are really uh, are hitting on some heavy things. So I want to so let's finish today with my number one. Then we'll come back next time and we'll do our number two. Uh, we're going to look at number one. For mine was this: my number one concern for the modern church is. Ignorance of basic biblical categories, and, and I put a subtitle of mine, what I call the loss of the Sunday school generation. And let me describe what I mean. Uh, we, we all remember, at least I think most of us, the three of us will remember a time when Sunday school was fairly common for young people. And therefore, to for people to have categories like Adam and Eve, Noah and the Ark, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the twelve sons of Israel, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these very basic things. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. the The old Bible school model that is um, still alive and well in some churches, but is would create a basic biblical literacy among people. And it wasn't always the churches. It, it was in the homes. Basic Bible literacy in the homes was fairly common. And I think that we are now facing a generation that grew up apart from that that biblical literacy that our forefathers and our parents had. And it is a big concern for me. Um, I'll give you an example. And this comes directly from my own experience. We have Sovereign Grace Academy. Sovereign Grace Academy is, is intended to be seminary quality instruction for everyday believers. That's the idea is it's seminary quality instruction for everyday believers. And we just call it a seminary for every believer. But in general, my goal has been to ensure first that people are thinking in basic biblical categories, the categories that we used to get when we were kids, but people aren't getting as kids anymore. And, um, just, I'll give you several years ago. I was, I was talking to a guy. He was, uh, he was not a believer. So I don't, 
I, I, I wouldn't expect anything more of him. So just so you understand, but I'm sitting talking to this guy and uh, sweet man, very nice man, even though he was not good because we identified that in question number one, he was not a good person, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, he looked at me and, and he said, Mr. Foskey, we, I worked with him at the school. And he said, and so we called each other by Mr. It was just the way you did it when you work at a school. And he said, Mr. Foskey, did Moses ever meet Jesus? And, you know, I understand from a theological perspective, we could say yes on the Mount of Transfiguration, or we could say Jesus pre, pre-existed Bethlehem, and therefore, you know, Jesus always has been. And, but that is not the level that he was thinking at. That was not the, that was not the question that he was asking. He was asking, was Jesus and Moses in the, ti- in the same time period? Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a basic when I so when I say a lack of basic thinking and basic biblical categories, that's a concern that I have. Is that we have we have basically come to the point where um, even talking about the most basic biblical principles in church, there's an entire section of the body that wasn't raised on these things wasn't reared and had their teeth cut on these things. And so while some of us are debating the heavy duty doctrines of impassibility and simplicity and all the heavy duty doctrines of the faith, there are folks that are, are, have, have not really cut their teeth yet. And, 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 and I'm going to go ahead to my number two, because unfortunately I don't think I can talk about number one without talking about number two on mine. Cause my second one was, and a lot of people are okay with that because that was my second problem is I, I think that in, and on our next show, we'll just leave out my number two because my, cause we'll, 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 the problem is folks, I heard somebody say this years ago and it really, it, it struck me so hard. They said, you know what, if you, if you were a, if you were a mechanic for 20 years and you didn't know how to do basic mechanical work, if somebody brought their car in and said, Hey, I need an oil change. You've been a mechanic for 20 years. I want you to change my oil. And you said, I don't know how to do that. Then the question would be, what have you been doing for 20 years? Mm-hmm. And yet we have people in the church who've been, who've been in the church for 20 years. And, and you say to them, you know, let's talk about basic biblical categories and they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, is it the church's fault? Is it the individual's fault? Is it the fault of our culture, which has said this is just not important enough to yes. devote to devote our time to learning? So yes I'll to, leave. Yes I'll leave you. Yeah, but but I want you guys to opine. Think about what I said, and if you have if you have your thoughts again, and, and if anybody's hearing this and think that I'm I'm being too heavy-handed, I'm not trying to be heavy-handed. It's just this is a concern I have. Folks who don't think in basic biblical categories and don't think that's a problem. Well, I'll uh, I'll go first. Uh, Someone once said to me that the church is, today's church is a mile wide, but an inch deep. Um, and like you said, you have 20 year old baby Christians that haven't, haven't taken the time to, to learn anything. And whose fault is it? Well, I guess you could say it's all three of those. The church has failed in discipleship of people. Um, bringing when a person comes to faith in Christ and they're a new believer, they need to be somebody needs to come alongside that person and help develop them, teach them the basics, get them in Sunday school, get them in things, and then spend one on one time with them. Um, that's what ended up ultimately happening for me. Uh, I was, you know, I came to Christ in 2001, God saved me in 2001, from 2001 to 2009. I thought Christian service, uh, was basically coming to church Sunday, Monday, Sunday, Wednesday, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was something you could serve in, whether it be helping prep the softball field or uh, Easter musical or judgment house or, you know, whatever, show up and move tables and all that stuff. I played, um, I played Satan in the judgment house. Oh, I at, played Satan uh, four or five years in a row. Okay. And <laughs> my Sam, better than your Sam, Satan. anyway, have you ever been Satan? <laughs> Uh, I didn't even know what you're talking about. So okay. no, I, uh, well, it's cause you're Presbyterian and you're better than us. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, 
I ended up starting to get typecast. I played Satan so well that the next Easter thing to come around, they cast me as Judas. And then I was right back to Satan the next year. Anyway. Uh, All the meaty um, roles. Right. I did get to play Jesus once, which was odd. Anyway. Um, but back to what I was talking about is that was Christian service for me. You know, that's, that's all I thought you had to do. And you were being a good disciple of Christ for doing that. And then along came uh, Mark Tuso. Uh, he was the pastor at the time. And he instituted a discipleship program using uh, John MacArthur's The Fundamentals of the Faith. And I forget, I won't, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was like yesterday. He came up to the young adult Wednesday night class uh, toward the end of it and made this announcement. And he based it on Matthew 28, where it says, go ye therefore and make disciples. And he honed in on the fact that the church is failing to make disciples. And he gave a five minute um, explanation of what that meant. And I knew he was talking about me. I mean, he mm. wasn't up there to talk about me, but I knew this is what I've lacked is basic discipleship. And he said, we've got a program and I've got teachers that are ready to go one-on-one -on -one with you for 13 weeks, 16 weeks, however long it takes. Cause of the 13 week program, if you went one, one lesson a week, that are ready to go. And I shot my hand up and said, sign me up. I don't care who you give me, but give me somebody. And he, and he gave me uh, <clears throat> a fellow by the name of Rich Turner, who was almost um, intimidating by his biblical knowledge. I mean, he's just one of those guys that just knew a lot. And he hooked me up with him and we didn't go 13 weeks. We went six months. He spent serious time with me and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And that's what, opened my mind up and opened my heart up to pursue doctrines further. Cause once he got me started, when I was done with that six months, I couldn't get enough of Bible. I couldn't get enough of theology. I was hunting, searching, give me anything I can read, whatever. And that's why, uh, that's where I learned that theology matters. Having a basic understanding matters where you can do apologetics and things like that. You've got to have a foundation to build upon. And that's what we're lacking in the church. So it's partly the church's fault, but it's also partly the believer's fault because the believer knows they need at least be reading the Bible and doing their own basic study there. We're commanded to do such things. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of all of that, uh, that leads to the fact that the, it's not so much that they don't care. It's that, it's become commonplace. And here's another statistic. And since I'm Baptist, we're always talking about statistics with the Sunday school generation. I grew up, you know, if I went and spent the night at a friend's house on a Saturday, you better believe, you know, you're going to be, you're going to get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Cause you're going to be at Sunday school by nine. You're going right. to Sunday school and you're going to church. Cause it's you're Sunday. either going, you're either going to yours or his. Right. If One it's way not or the, the other. same church. Yeah. Right. If your parents are going to pick you up or they're going to know you're going to a different church, but you're going to church period. That ain't the case today. Uh, few years ago, the, the statistic was given out that if you have a church with an average membership of four to 500, you'll only have 65 to 70 in Sunday school. So people will come to the services, but they won't come to Sunday school when it should be in reality, even why are the same people? Why are they not coming to Sunday school? Because They don't care about Sunday school. They just want to come get the pre hour long preaching, sing a few songs and go to the house. They don't want the, the the classroom setting where it's not just someone talking to you but it's interactive and you actually learn and strengthen each other in an iron sharpens iron kind of fashion you, you see what i'm saying that's what sunday school should be about it should be interactive in that sense and you don't see that anymore because it's like you said the basics have kind of been overlooked at this point it's not necessary anymore and new Christians aren't being discipled to understand what they are. And I think one of the reasons that new Christians aren't being discipled because there's not enough seasoned Christians to disciple the new Christians because they're all still babies. That's another problem in, in my mind is that you have a lot, so many, so many immature, spiritually immature Christians that they can't disciple other Christians because they don't know doctrine to do it either. If you gave them the fundamentals of the faith, they're both learning it at the same time. There's not one of them teaching it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. What I'm, where I'm getting at with that. So I think that's part of the problem too, is that you don't have enough. So then that goes back to burning out pastors because then it's on the pastor's job to try to get all these people caught up to speed and who can, what, how can one man do that? Mm -hmm. So you have a weakness from throughout the church. 
I think in that respect. So, but that's just my opinion. It may be, that may just be the churches I've been involved in. It might not be that way everywhere. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to clarify something. I, I know that there are different views on Sunday school and how Sunday school is supposed to function. And, um, you know, our church takes more of a family view of Sunday school where the whole family goes in together, but it's still an interactive opportunity. When brother Andy teaches, there's an opportunity for people to ask questions and to clarify and to dig in. And, you know, we have the men's meetings you come to, and I know brother Sam, you've been to at least one or two of our men's breakfasts before, and it's more interactive and you have an opportunity to share and develop as opposed to um, just sitting and listening. Um, and, that's, and, and that's how we do it. Sunday school too, is me and Johnny both. When we teach class, we tell them beforehand, if at any point I'm talking, there's something you want to add or say, interrupt me, speak up, let's talk. And we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into that. If it means we don't finish the lesson today, that's fine. So yeah, we, we want it to be the same with it. At least there's consistent consistency between our two churches in that respect. Um, but yes, other under Sunday school, Sunday school fun, are function differently in different churches because especially in the Baptist, as you said, they're autonomous. They do their own thing. Yeah. Um, but well, brother Sam, what are your thoughts? Uh, as we draw to a close, what do you, what do you think about, um, you, know, you you coming from you say you're a, a newer newer believer you said that earlier but even five years um, you you certainly have uh, a good deal of knowledge you've you've um, you know just the times you and I've talked um, what do you think keeps people from from that do you think it's the church's fault do you think it's their fault what do you think yeah all of the above um, uh, and I'll just say from the beginning of this, this question, I've been tr troubled in my heart um, because I, I don't remember a time in my life where it was ever children's church. I didn't grow up hearing the gospel. I, we didn't attend church. None of that was in this, my sphere of influence ever sure. growing up. So, so I, I, don't, I don't recall those things fondly or at all, right? So for me, growing and my, up... And, and, and just, just to clarify, my wife didn't either because my wife didn't mm -hmm. go to church growing up. The only time yeah. she ever went to church was if a friend took her. And that happened a handful of times. So, so sure. I, I understand it's not our, our, my mine and Richard's experience is not universal for certain. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And 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 then sort of just stumbling through life for 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 decades, right? And I and I realized that one of the things um, since since you know Jesus saved me, right? He didn't just save my soul for eternity. He saved my mind. Right. I, I literally didn't know how to think. I didn't know how to interact in the world. Uh, I, I, I uh, like uh, my mind was insane. And so literally, you know, Jesus saved me completely and totally. He saved my soul. He saved my mind. Um, so so but things have become so clear to me now. Right. And I'm, I'm a very simple guy. I'm not very smart. I don't I don't know theologically, you know, scripturally. I can't quote all verses and things. But there are some things that are that are very clear to me. And one of those things is we don't seek after God, right? We don't seek after God. The, the, our, our churches don't, our men don't, our society doesn't, our families don't. I can't tell you, I, I, I always make it a point to ask every man that I know who claims to be a Christian, I'm like, how often do you hold family worship at home? Mm. To the person, almost every single one says, what? Yeah. What do you mean family worship? Right. Because, you know, we are born totally opposed to God. We are born not seeking for him. So the idea that that we don't have family worship in our homes, of course, it just flows upstream from there. Right. We don't have churches that care about knowledge and and love God and seek after God. We don't have a society that loves knowledge and and seeks after God. So so my answer to to, you know, is it the churches? Yes. Is it the people? Yes. Is it the, the societal institutions? Not only is that yes, but that's they're, they're actively working against God. So um, it's all of our fault because we're wicked. Amen. Well, those are three thoughts that we have about concerns for the modern church. I think today has given an opportunity for some deep thinking and some deep uh, some deep answers to deep questions, and hopefully you, the listener, have been blessed by these things. As I said, we have nine of these total. We did three today. We're going to come back later and do the second round and then another for the third round. But for now, we're going to leave you with these questions and these thoughts to ponder as you go about your day. Please take an opportunity, if you would, 
and you have questions to send us questions via our email, calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're listening to this through our Facebook page, you can simply leave a comment on the Facebook page and we'll be happy to interact with that as well. I want to thank my co-hosts today and my friends, Brother Sam and Brother Richard. Thank you guys for being with us again. My pleasure. Anytime, brother. All right, brothers. Well, thank you both. And thank you, listener. And thank everyone. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Thank all the hellfire and brimstone preachers. Yes. (laughs) But we do appreciate you listening to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Bosky, and I have been your Calvinist. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee with a Calvinist. If you enjoyed the program, please take a moment to subscribe and provide us feedback. We love to receive your comments and questions and may even engage with them in a future episode. As you go about your day, remember this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. All who come to Him in repentance and faith will find Him to be a perfect Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. May God be with you.